Well, good morning, church. My name is Cody King, and I'm the Edgewood Campus Pastor, and it's my joy to be able to share with you this morning. I want to say welcome to those that are joining us in Wills Point, those that are joining us online. Uh, we're very glad that you are here spending time with us this morning. As you saw from the bumper video, we are returning to our study in Romans, revealing the righteousness of God. Uh, we began this study back at the beginning of the fall and took a little break over the holiday season, but we're looking forward to, to digging back into this text. Uh, we're heading into kind of the back half of the book, and, and we're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, and it's often been said that chapter 8 could be the greatest chapter uh, in this epistle. Um, and in this greatest chapter is what could be the greatest verse, what's considered to be the greatest verse in the greatest chapter of what some people could consider the greatest book of your Bible. I'm not going to go that far to make that claim for myself, though I do enjoy Romans. And this is a wonderful chapter, and there is a wonderful truth uh, in this text for us today. Uh, but before we read that, after that big opening statement, I want to back up and kind of give a recap of the first seven chapters. I think it's going to help us to reframe our minds around what we have covered. And I encourage you, if you're new here, and even if you were with us before, if you find time, um, all of these teachings are online on our website. I encourage you, if you have time at any point in time, to go back and check one of them out. Um, it would be helpful, and I believe it would be a blessing to you as well. But just a quick chapter-by-chapter chapter recap, if I can, to kind of catch us up um, to what Paul has for us um, in chapter 8. So as we began with chapter 1, we see that, um, that the wrath of God has been, is being revealed, actively revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Right? Chapter 2 and 3 then tells us that we are all under that wrath, every one of us, and we're all liable for judgment because, chapter 3, no one is righteous. Right. Chapter 3, verse 10, no one is righteous, no, not one, is what Paul says. But in 4, we become, we're justified by grace through faith, is what we find. Also in chapter 4, it's, it's, it's though unrighteous, we're made righteous by that faith. Chapter 5, we're no longer under wrath because of that faith. Uh, but then we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And at this point in the epistle, you begin to see a shift kind of take place in, in what Paul is conveying. The first three chapters really tells us the problem of uh, the disease that we have and our need for a cure. And then four, he begins to tell us of that cure and its righteousness, and it comes through faith. And then five, we find that though we were under the wrath of God, we can now experience the peace of God, and that comes through Christ Jesus. Also, the second half of chapter 5, we find that, that grace then reigns through the life of Christ rather than death in Adam. As we all came from Adam, we all came from the seed of Adam, therefore we share in the sin of Adam, and the result of that sin is death. It's spiritual death along with physical death that entered the picture when sin entered the picture in Adam. But in Christ, the greater Adam, we have life, not death. And then when we get to chapter 6, Paul, he begins to deal with this um, idea of now that we're under grace, do we continue to sin? And he says, by no means. He says that we are now dead to sin. 
uh, under grace and under Christ. And then chapter 7, he begins to deal with, with our present legalism. If chapter 6, he deals with our present sin, though under grace, sometimes you can look at someone, the legalist, who would say, well, I'm saved, but I really need to keep the law. So Paul deals with legalism and how we have been released from the law. And we're released, released from the law to serve in the new way of the Spirit in verse 6 of chapter 7. And then Paul helps us to realize that though we have a desire to do what is right, in our flesh we have an inability to carry that out. All right, Paul contends with his flesh that I know the right thing to do, I want to do the right thing, but in my flesh I have an inability to do that. So he recognizes this truth about himself in verse 24 where he says this. Paul says, wretched man that I am. He understands, he recognizes this present reality that he's living in. That he is utterly wretched. Because of his sinfulness, because of every decision that he's made in the flesh is made him wretched. He says, wretched man that I am. It is a present tense, present reality that he's in. But then he says this, who will deliver me from this body of death? He asks this question, who will deliver me? It's a future tense, right? It's a future event to take place. Wretched man that I am in the present, he says, but who will in the future deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers that question in verse 25. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He understands his present condition, his utter need for deliverance from that condition. And it's a future reality that is to come, and it's going to be realized in Christ Jesus. This is our case. This is, this is, this is the body of death that we continue to have. As long as we are here, we are in this flesh, this body of death that is wretched, that is broken, it is depraved, it is sinful, but at a future point, because of God and Christ Jesus our Lord, we will experience, the believer will experience a deliverance from this body of death. Therefore, we get to chapter 8, and we get this wonderful promise. We get this wonderful truth that we have this future event that's going to take place. We're going to be delivered from this body of death. But he says here that we're still wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from it? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then chapter 8 verse 1 he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That church... That is the wonderful truth. That may possibly be the greatest verse in this book that we're reading, that we're studying right now, is in light of all that we've said, in light of all the, the, the wrath of God that's been revealed, our utter ungodliness, our unrighteousness, that we were dead in our sin. Here now we can be alive in Christ, and in Christ, though we're still in this flesh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So for you and I, as, as we continue on in this world, as we come to a point in this world where we recognize Christ and we give our life to Christ, we still inhabit this body of death, but there is something changes. 
right? We be, there's, there's a new something that comes. The old passes away, the new comes, and we walk in a newness of life. And it's the law of the spirit of life has been now set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And as we look at condemnation, the word there is katakrima, which means it's, it's punishment following a sentence. It's not that, that God is saying now, you know, you are no longer condemned as if you have been justified. It carries the idea of there's no longer a punishment for your sin. Right? There's, there's no longer something that you continue to have to do in that sin. It's the idea of a penal servitude, the idea of imprisonment with hard labor. We no longer have to walk in that if we're in Christ Jesus. Though we're still, we're still in our mortal bodies and we're still living this flesh, but in our spirit we've been set free. And there's no longer any bondage to it. There's no longer any condemnation. There's no longer any punishment that we would have to endure. For those that are in Christ Jesus, we've been released from the law. We've been pardoned. So there's no longer any reason to go on enduring any punishment whatsoever. You and I have been set free in Christ. Now, when we've been set free from something, we've been set free from something to something. We've been freed from death and condemnation to life in Christ Jesus. We've been freed to a new position. Our position has changed. And he's introduced an entirely, an entirely new life an entire new life that people are introduced to here. is when we put our life in Christ, in Christ Jesus, we enter into something completely new. Our position changes. And to be in Christ Jesus is to be a part of His body. What becomes new is we're no longer alone. We're no longer out in this place or in this world on our own, fending for ourselves in isolation. We can be in communities with other people. We can be in groups over here. But apart from Christ and His body, we are alone in this world. We will stand alone ultimately in this world. But we have a new position in Christ and we share in His body. Romans 12, 5, he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Now, not only is there no condemnation or there's no penal servitude any longer or punishment for our sinfulness here. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there are also other things in Christ Jesus. There are other blessings in Christ Jesus. Many, many times throughout Paul's epistles, you see this phrase, in Christ Jesus or in Christ. In the other epistles, other than Paul's, it's only used four times. In Acts and the gospel, it's never used. But some of the blessings that we find in Christ Jesus are this, is that we have been redeemed, Romans 3.24. We're alive to God, Romans 6.11. Right? We're free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8.2. We're sanctified, 1 Corinthians 1.2. We're secured, 1 Corinthians 15.18. We're new cre creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're sons of God, Galatians 3.26. We're seated in the heavens, Ephesians 2, 6. And the list goes on and on and on. This isn't an exhaustive list, but you can look at my notes when we provide them on Monday and you will see many more of these things here. The blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. When our position changes, when we become part of His body, we share in an entirely, entire new life that we would never experience otherwise. 
And as you look at these blessings, if you have this list in front of you, and again, we'll provide it later, but, it, but if you're still under the law of sin and death, and you're not free, we would not experience any of these blessings in Christ. Under the law of sin and death, you're still in your sin. You are still under condemnation. There is punishment to be had for that sin. But instead, we are now free in Christ Jesus and we get to experience these blessings. So the law of the spirit of life has set us free. It's an event in the past that pays off, that continues on, not pays off, but continues on with ongoing results found only in Christ Jesus throughout to the day where we are delivered from this body of death. So our position has changed to something entirely new. The message version of verse 2 says it this way, and I want to share this because I think it, it highlights for us in some ways what, what he's saying. But uh, the message version says this. It says, the new power is, A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. We've been freed from a lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That was the old, and now the new is life and freedom in Christ Jesus and all the blessings thereof. Verse 3, Paul goes on. He says now that for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin or a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So the law has two purposes. All right, one was to, was to provide life, but the other was to reveal man's sinful nature, reveal our need for a savior. All right, it was to reveal in us, to help us see that we can't keep all of this. We need someone to do it for us. So it was a perfect law given by a perfect God to an imperfect people. But because the law had no power of its own, it could not overcome our sinfulness. It couldn't overcome our sinful nature. So this is what the law could not do. So when it says that God did what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh... It could not overcome our flesh. What does God do? How does he change this? How does he overcome this? Well, God condemned sin in order that the righteous requirements of law might be fully met in us. And the question is how? How does he do this? But God condemned sin in the flesh. The question becomes, in whose flesh? But God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful Flesh. Now, we need to be careful when we look at that to not look at that as, well, did he send his son? Did Jesus become sinfulness? But no, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? It's, it's the idea of we were created in God's image, but we are not God. So Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he's not sinful flesh. But he came to identify with us. You know, he, he came to be tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. But it draws a parallel between how Christ came and where sin was condemned. He came as in the likeness of sinful flesh, but sin was condemned in the flesh. So man's sin was condemned in Christ's flesh. Do you see the picture? 
as how God does this, how he, how he overcomes this, this weakness in the law to do what the law could not do. So the fact that Christ knew no sin was why he could receive unto himself the penalty for our sin is then, and then credit us with his own righteousness, righteous standing before God. Paul tells the, the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the picture? Is that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not that he became sinful flesh. Not that he became sinful. But in that likeness, so that God could condemn that flesh in him. That in his righteousness, in his perfection, in his sinlessness, he could fulfill the requirements of the law. Verse 4. And that God would condemn sin in him so that we might have his righteousness. That it may be credited to us. Chapter 4. As, as Abraham was, his righteousness was His faith was credited to him as righteousness. Christ's righteousness is credited to us because of our faith in him, because of what he did for us, and that he became sinful like sinful flesh, and God condemned that sin in the flesh in him. So that we can then be free from the condemnation of the flesh. In verse 4, he does this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in us who, second half of that, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we're free from something to something. We're free from death and condemnation to life in Christ Jesus to a new practice. We had a new position. Now we have a new practice because of that new position. Galatians 5.13, Paul tells the Galatian church in verse 13, he says, uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But now look what he says next. He says in 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So do you see what he does there, what Paul says? What God did that the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh, He fulfilled the righteous requirements of that law in us because He condemned flesh in Christ who became in the like, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And because of that, we have a new practice where we now don't walk according to the flesh any longer. We don't walk according to this body of death, but we walk according to the Spirit. And he says there that we we have freedom now. We have freedom from condemnation. He says, only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to the flesh. Then he says, through love you serve one another. And the whole law is fulfilled in that. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And that he now gives us the ability by his spirit, the spirit of life that sets us free in Christ Jesus, now gives us the ability to walk in a new position with a new practice and a new life to where we're now able to love people the way he loved people and fulfill the law. 
So we have a new position of righteousness that in the flesh was unavailable to us. But with our new position comes a new practice. We're free to live according to the Spirit. Now what that actually looks like, just just to compare um, uh, living in the flesh versus living according to the Spirit, that's Paul will begin to unpack that further and we will look at that in weeks to come. But it's, it's to enter into a work of sanctification as we walk with the Spirit, as we live according to the Spirit. It's a position of holiness or set-apartness for Christ, in Christ. And it's ours in Christ which forms the basis of our becoming holy and becoming holy in practice. And it's a work of the Spirit as we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And all this is made possible by Christ Jesus and what God did through Him. So for you and I, the practical thing to take away from this as we look to do this in practice is to move forward, but not go backwards. Not to shrink back to the old self. We have a new position. Let's not go back to the old position. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. He says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So put off the old self and realize the new. Don't return to that same guilt. Don't return to that same shame. We have all done things that are sinful, that are, that are wrong in, in the, the, the depraved state that we lived in. If I think back to things that I did then, church, if I knew then what I know now, what might be different, my entire life would be different. But the point isn't to have a desire to go back and change then. The point is to look at the truth that we have now. And the truth that we have now is that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you do, we don't have an excuse to sin because we're under grace. But but church, because we're under grace, there's no condemnation any longer. There's no amount of guilt or shame that we are meant to bear or carry any longer. All of that has been placed squarely on Christ and has been condemned in the flesh that you and I might be set free from condemnation, from punishment, from a penal servitude, from an imprisonment with labor. May we not try and keep the law for the law's sake, but may we walk in the Spirit and so fulfill the law by the way we love one another. And that the whole law and the prophets depend on those two things, to love God And to love others. But the ability to do that comes when we walk in newness of life. We've been talking a lot in the last few weeks about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work. That comes by walking in the Spirit. In the newness of life. Not the old way. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That truth should set our minds at rest. Free us up to look forward, to move forward. As we continue our study in Romans, we should settle on that truth. And that will open our minds and our ears and our hearts to hear what the Apostle Paul has yet to teach us. 
Because there is a lot still in this study of Romans that Paul has to teach us that are wonderful truths. But if we could grab hold of this one, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. Freedom that you will not, you and I will never experience anywhere else apart from Christ. And that sets our minds and our hearts at ease and at rest to receive the goodness that he has yet for us. And that is continuing our prayer for 2022 is that as a church we would continue to, to rest in his word, rest in his truth, rest in his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, and walk in those things in a manner that is worthy of him. And that comes by walking in his spirit, in his spirit, and not walking according to the flesh. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful promise that you give us, Lord. That as Paul would say and recognize, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ our Lord, Lord, that you would be the one. You would do the thing that that we could not do, that you would come in our likeness to be tempted in every way, to yet be without sin, so that you could lay your life down, so that your righteousness could be credited to us. Lord, but the only way that we share in that, Lord, is to submit our our lives to you. To humbly come before you, Lord, recognizing our sin and our wretchedness and our utter need For you, our inability to fulfill the law, to recognize that it's fulfilled in you, Lord. And I pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray for the the lost that are here, for the unbeliever that is seeking, that is asking, that that is ridden with guilt and shame to recognize the freedom that comes in you, Lord. That that person may Humbly seek after you, Lord. And as your word says, as we seek you, we will find you. And when we find you, Lord, we find freedom in you. It is found nowhere else, Lord. And I pray that's what we experience. I pray that's what we remember. I pray that's what we share with a world that desperately needs you. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.